Hello, and welcome to PCB Chat, where we talk with experts across the printed circuit design, manufacturing, and electronic supply chain fields. I'm Mike Buteau, president of PCEA. The Printed Circuit Board Association of America, or PCBAA, was founded in 2021 to advance U.S. domestic production of PCBs and base materials. The organization is made up of corporate members of all sizes and includes fabricators, assemblers, and suppliers. My guest today is David Shield, Executive Director of the PCBAA. Hello, David, and welcome to PCB Chat. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. David, you joined PCBAA last November, so you're not quite six months on the job. Tell us a little about your background and perhaps what your first few months on the in the industry have taught you. Well, it's been a really exciting time. As you can imagine, there's been a steep learning curve. My background is in aerospace and defense, government affairs, and advocacy. And through that, I met a number of the founders of the PCBAA. As you said, it's a relatively new organization, but we've grown aggressively from five members to almost 30 today. And we've tackled a number of big public policy challenges that I think affect the entire microelectronics ecosystem. I'm really lucky to have this new role and opportunity. And of course, I'm kind of drinking from the fire hose over the last six months, but we've got a great leadership team in place, a lot of recognizable names who have been veterans for decades in this industry. And with those folks sort of allied for common cause, I think we've done quite well and we've got uh, big goals for 2023 and beyond. So you had a few people in common before you came to PCBAA, or did uh, they just kind of reach out and said, hey, look, we've heard great things. We want you to come aboard. Well, thanks. Washington is a smaller town than you might think. Uh, And so a number of executives from the microelectronics space and I had worked together in previous roles in aerospace and defense. Um, You know, when the pandemic came around, we all found ourselves sort of reinventing our careers. And uh, there was a moment where I had the opportunity to sort of leave big corporate A&D and make a new start with the PCBAA. And I've learned a lot about microelectronics. You know, the story that I tell is that for years I was sort of um, representing these major aerospace systems, uh, space stations, radars, battle tanks and submarines, not realizing sort of the critical role that microelectronics played in all of those technologies. Now I'm much closer to those suppliers, those component manufacturers, those raw material dealers. And it's fascinating because I still feel like we're serving uh, that same you know, noble end goal of modern high technology, just uh, you know, in a much smaller form factor. There's a little bit of the whole Wizard of Oz effect here, right? You know, where, you know, don't pay attention to the guy behind the curtain, but they really are pulling a lot of the strings. We like to say that uh, chips don't float, obviously, when we talk about the entire ecosystem. But another phrase that we use a lot at the PCBAA is PCBs make it possible. I like that. I like that. And now a brief word from our sponsor. This episode of PCB Chat is sponsored by PCB East, the electronic industry's East Coast conference and trade show. Coming to the Boston suburbs, May 9 to 12, and registration is now open at PCBEast.com. So let's get into why we're here. After being more or less forgotten for a couple decades, government interest in the electronics industry has roared back over the past year, to year, year and a half. Uh, listeners have probably heard a lot about the CHIPS Act, which, you know, as you alluded to, it provides billions of dollars in direct funding and incentives to encourage the production of semiconductors onshore. Welcome as it was, Industry observers had pointed out, as you just did, that chips don't float and government has yet to address other key aspects of the supply chain. In short, more is needed 
beyond semiconductor funding. David, what is your take on all this? You know, I think it is probably long overdue that industrial policy and national security policy get linked up and that we have a bipartisan consensus that making things that we depend on here in America is just good public policy, in addition to being good for business and good for our national security. In the end, I think also good for customers. I am thrilled that the last three years have seen such a focus on semiconductors and that the CHIPS Act really captured a lot of light and heat that otherwise you know, was not shining on the microelectronics industry. Now, in the words of President Biden, I think we need to finish the job. We have really addressed one critical part of the technology stack, and you're going to see semiconductors manufactured now in places like New York, Texas, Arizona, Ohio, Illinois, other locations. These are tremendous investments that we as a country, I think, will benefit from. But if we don't look at the rest of the ecosystem, and it is an ecosystem, you start, you're starting to hear folks like Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo say it, you're starting to hear people like the President of the United States say it, um, it is an ecosystem and we have to address every part of it. Now, the PCBAA, in concert with groups like USPAE and IPC, are sort of pushing jointly for a higher level of recognition for this technology group. And we are coming at this from the same place that our friends in the semiconductor industry were. 25 years of offshoring, 25 years of market forces driving production overseas has led to an unsustainable position. We've got 4% of global markets who are manufactured in America. 25 years ago, that was 30%. In real terms, that's 2,200 companies doing it 25 years ago. It's 150 companies doing it today. With many single points of failure, I might add, in places like copper foil, in places like woven glass, in places like test boards, there are so many places where if we lose just one or two companies, the U.S. will be completely dependent on foreign sourcing. I think the pandemic showed us that's not a place anybody wants to be. So, uh, you know, you you bring up a couple of things that are really, really important, right? Um, there's not just a market share issue. Um, there's not just the number of companies that are actually manufacturing, but it's really the the supply base as well. You know, when you have one laser drill manufacturer onshore, one mechanical drill manufacturer onshore, um, a, a small number of uh, laminate suppliers, and maybe not every flavor that you need. You know, you get into uh, you know plating and other equipment. You've got one plating company. You know, it's there's just not enough of a supply base here to help bring forth the types of uh, capacity and technology that we need, even if the demand signal was there. So, how do we wrap all this up? I mean, where do you start? Well, that's a great question, Mike. You're correct. You know, we are losing not just production capability, we are also losing innovation, right? Our, our chairman and Isola CEO, Travis Kelly, often says that innovation, design, research, and development are co-located with production. So when you move a factory that makes boards or makes laminate or uh, makes any critical material overseas, you're losing the design, you're losing the innovation. And as we talk about the next generation of semiconductors that are going to be made in America, we're going to need a new generation of boards. We're going to need innovation in advanced packaging. We have to decide as a country if we want that innovation, if we want the technologies of the future invented and built here or built overseas. Almost everything we're talking about was invented in the United States. And as we discussed, market forces drove the production of a lot of those materials overseas over 25 years. There's no fingers to point there. Uh, you know, a lot of factors went into play. We started to see the consequences of it, I think, over the last three to five years. Now, industry, academia, the media, public policymakers, everyone seems to understand that there is an issue. Now we push forward to fix it. And I think 
that takes a number of, for, uh, of forms or, or a number of modalities, right? We certainly are seeking the same sort of public support for our industry that the semiconductors uh, recently received, right? The CHIPS Act is a great move. We're starting to see through these notice of funding opportunities how that $52 billion is actually going to be deployed, right? In what columns, in what categories, but there's more public policy that needs to take place. I think we had a big win with the DPA, which I know you and I are going to talk about. I think there's continued focus on defense-specific applications through bills like the National Defense Authorization Act, which I'm happy to expand on. And then, of course, we're pursuing a standalone bill, right? In the last Congress, it was called the Supporting American Prince Circuit Boards Act. It's going to get renamed, I think, here in the 118th that would both allocate direct funding for research and development but also introduce a very important tax credit to address that demand signal that you talked about on the defense and commercial side. So you had a great lead in right there to a couple other things that we're going to touch on today. Um, I do want to get to the DPA in a moment, um, but as we drill into the uh, to the policy that's coming into place, um, as you mentioned, you know some of this has been enca- encapsulated in a bill from the previous con- Congress uh, that was known as HR seven six seven seven. What can you tell us about the possibility of seeing similar legislation in this Congress? And more important, would it have a chance of passing? Great questions. I'm confident that in the next few months, you're going to see an updated version of that bill introduced. I can't give out a name or a number yet because that's obviously up to our legislative champions. But I think before we reach the summer here, we're going to have a new bill to champion. And really, once it's introduced, we're going to be chasing bipartisan support, co-sponsors, and the PCB industry and our suppliers, as you know, have a very diverse geographic footprint. We're in at least 27 states that I know about. We're employing thousands, if not tens of thousands of people around the country. We need to make the largest political footprint possible to achieve the largest political effect. So our first thing, once this bill inter- is introduced, is to go out and get as many co-sponsors, as many supporters, as many champions as we can. It'll be referred to the committees of jurisdiction, right? Uh, it'll probably be end up in the Ways and Means Committee because there's a tax provision. It'll probably end up in the Science Committee. We might see it referred to the Homeland Security Committee. I think that's speculative at this point. But then we've got to go to those committees. We've got to talk to the professional staff members. We have to talk to the relevant members. As that bill makes its way through the committee process, we'll be watching it closely and interacting and briefing policymakers accordingly. Um, and then we'll see where it goes, right? Uh, legislation is a long road. I think people forget sometimes that the CHIPS Act took well over three years from the inception to execution. Uh, and I'm not painting an overly pessimistic or optimistic picture here, only to say that after you know two decades in Washington, I can tell you that these are long roads that require a commitment to see things through. I do recall, you know, having been a staff member at IPC uh, in the 1990s, and then as a journalist in the early 2000s, uh, attending, you know, several of the IPC Capitol Hill days, and you know, the which were the lobbying efforts, and the industry would come together on a given day in the spring and kind of rush up Capitol Hill and talk to as many legislators as they can, and then they'd kind of go back and everything would just sort of slow to to a standstill, right? You know, the difference now that I see, and, you know, tell me if you disagree, is that there is actually impetus from the the top down. Uh, Biden is talking about this. The, the cabinet is talking about this. The House and Senate are talking about this. They're initiating the conversation, not just responding to it. Would you agree? I would. You know, I think that the focus on 
empty store shelves, the focus on insecure supply chains that really manifested during the pandemic, combined with a lot of geopolitical factors, right? Where are we facing adversaries abroad? Where do we need to grow our own economy? All of these factors concentrate the mind of elected officials. They're hearing it from their constituents. They're hearing it from the business community. And certainly they're seeing challenges when they look abroad. All those things get the administration, the Congress focused on this. And that's good. I think the push is bipartisan. I think you see on both sides of the aisle a recognition for a variety of reasons, right? People may say, I have a national security concern as to why we do this. I have a jobs concern as to why we do this. I have sort of a long-term sustainability thinking around why we need to do this. Regardless of motives, we're seeing people on both sides of the aisle care about this, you're right, in a way that they weren't five years ago. And we've talked about the House bill. Is there a companion bill in the Senate that you feel is going to be introduced as well? Not yet. That's on our to-do list. Uh, I'd like to get the House bill introduced and championed, and that will make it that much easier to go find Senate champions. We've seen some interest from a number of senators in this issue. And of course, they realize the work that's being done in their own states. So that's going to be a high priority once we get our House bill introduced. Now, just this week, President Biden authorized the use of the Defense Production Act to spur domestic and Canadian production of printed circuit boards. He was citing the technology's importance to national defense. The presidential determination that Biden signed on Monday allows the Department of Defense to use its authority to invest $50 million in advanced microelectronics capacity and ensure the production of -of state-of-the-art ICs in the U.S. This particular measure appears to focus on ensuring chip substrates are available because, to coin a phrase, bare silicon needs a home. So, I mean, I'll say every little bit counts, but will $50 million really move the needle? I mean, what do you know about this and what's your take? So we're still assessing the particulars of the president's announcements on Friday and Monday, but this is undoubtedly a huge win for our industry. First, to see the prime minister of Canada and the president of the United States jointly agree that we need to make more microelectronics here in North America is a win. Secondly, uh, we, in partnership with IPC, have been pushing for months for the presidential determination invoking the Defense Production Act. It drops so much red tape. It clears the way for such faster acquisition of these technologies. And it's a formal recognition that printed circuit boards, advanced substrates are essential to our national security. We agree with that assessment, and it's a a big win for our industry. As to the amounts, I think that $50 million is a down payment, and it's a good start. Clearly, we are talking about billions of dollars that are needed to grow the industry and to create a sustainable marketplace. Uh, if you look at the bill that we'll be introducing, that's going to call, call call for excuse me direct funding to the tune of probably three to five billion dollars, and more importantly, a tax credit. And that tax credit is where we address the demand side. It's where we say to the major buyers of boards uh, uh, and substrates, uh, raw materials, hey, look. We can hit your bottom line in a positive way by introducing a tax credit that benefits you directly. So, of course, I represent the people that make boards and critical materials suppliers, but we feel that we are also out there, you know, working towards a win for some of the biggest companies in America that are buying hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in printed circuit boards every year. So I think um, this is a good start and we applaud the administration for these actions, but we've got more to do. Is that $50 million carved out of the existing uh, defense bill, or will they have to go to Congress for additional funding? 
That's something we're still trying to determine. You're asking the same questions our group has, and uh, only about uh, five days into this process, you can believe we're hitting up the Department of Commerce, the White House, and the Department of Defense for clear guidance on where's that pot of money and can we go after it. And so perhaps this is premature as well, but to your to your knowledge, will that money go to existing companies or to a new entity, say a research consortium a la Semitech? Some of that money may be spoken for. Some of it may present new opportunities. Again, I think at this point we have an announcement and we as an industry have got to get better intelligence and information directly from the source to say, is this something I can send my members after or is it perhaps being spent against existing accounts and programs? Now, of course, the CHIPS Act allocated uh, $50 billion in a combination of direct spend and you know tax breaks and other incentives. A new chip fab, state-of-the-art chip fab is going to cost $10 billion plus, right? I mean, that $50 billion, if you're giving that to Intel and AMD, not to pick on you know these companies, Micron, but they could seaten up very quickly if it were to be allocated in that direction. Has your board discussed what they think is an appropriate number for the bare board industry? And if so, what is it? So I would say that we're seeing something really incredible happen, which is private money is following public action. I think that we're looking at probably four or $500 billion in private money on the semiconductor side that has emerged, that has been pledged, that has started to be invested on the heels of that $52 billion. What it tells you is that companies in many cases, are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see if government policy will favor and advantage their industry. I think we're in the same place. I think many PCB manufacturers need a significant uh, signal from the government, a sign that they're going to back our industry before they commit private monies. And I'm optimistic that that would happen. Again, the bill that we're pushing would call for about 3 to $5 billion in direct funding. As you know, many of our members are significantly smaller than the larger semiconductor folks that are out there. We have you know, a full spectrum of membership. But I think that what you're going to see is that when public policy lines up to say this is an industry we're going to support and help to create a demand signal for, that's when private money will get off the sidelines. And when we talk about private money, how much of that is private equity, institutional investments, that kind of thing, versus the ability to go to the public markets and um, you know, you know, float uh, you know more shares for cash, right? Because well, on the semiconductor side, even the fabless companies are public. On the bare board side, we have TTM, Sanmina, FTG. I mean, Advanced Circuits just got rolled up. So you know, there's really not much in the way of. Wall Street type of funding that they can go after. Yeah, you know, our industry is mixed in terms of, you know, the way these businesses are constituted, but I do hear the same thing consistently from the CEOs, the CFOs and the COOs of these companies, which is if I had a commercial demand signal, if I felt that my customers were there, I could go back to my board, I could go back to my leadership team and say we need a new facility, we need to hire a new workforce, we need to invest in tooling, training, design, but now I'm not seeing it. Because the market forces just make American-made boards, in many cases, not competitive. We address the demand side, Mike, and I think you're going to start to see significant business investment. What I'm hearing is that it's not just a matter of rallying the bare board uh, fabricators and their suppliers to the, uh, to the call, but it's also getting the assemblers, the EMS companies and the OEMs to sign on and support this as well. 
In addition to the benefits that would come from our bill directly in the form of funding probably administered by the Department of Commerce, the tax break hits people upstream and downstream of the of the parts of the chain that you're talking about. I absolutely think that across the spectrum, uh, across the chain from you know raw materials becoming finished products, you see folks who say, yeah, an incentive to build boards in America, that would benefit me. Given all that, what is your overarching strategy for influencing future legislation and policy? Is it you know just trying to get as many uh, backers um, from the industry as possible to to push their uh, respective congressmen, or is there another approach that's part of this as well? Our strategy really relies on three pillars: educate, advocate, and then legislate. And we have to start with this education component. I would argue that three to five years ago, a certain group of Americans were very con- familiar with semiconductors where they were made, and what they did. But boy, didn't we see during this campaign for the CHIPS Act a real effort to teach every American, right, whether they're in a policy-making role or not, about the importance of CHIPS. That's why Educate is at the head of our uh, mast, right? That's why it's our lead talking point, because we have to start by walking into lawmakers' office, walking into media organizations, walking into academia, and saying, there's a component here that you may not be aware of, and it's not a dumb green piece of plastic. Right? It's a complicated engineering set of laminate, resin, precious metals, a lot of engineering, a lot of design. You know, We say things like chips don't float. We say things like PCBs make it possible. All of that is part of an educational message that then allows you to go in and take an advocacy position. Here's what we need to solve a problem that we all agree exists. That in turn, I think, leads to legislative outcomes. So when you see us on social media, when you see us talking to the press, when you see us out at trade shows... When you see us burning up the shoe leather on Capitol Hill, which we'll be doing this summer, all of that is pushing in the same general direction. I'm thrilled that one of our three big priorities for the year, the invocation of TPA, has occurred. Now we've got to, again, focus on some very specific defense language and this standalone bill. Now, it's, you know, generally speaking, we like to always have a positive message, um, but this is a situation where we're really tying the bare board industry and the health of it to national security and national security is inherently kind of a cynical view, right? You know, it's a, it's a, Hey, look, you got to think of the worst things that can happen to us and try to head them off to that end. How much do um, very high profile events, like say the, the congressional hearings for TikTok factor into any of this? I mean, are you able to leverage those types of very high profile moments to point out you know, the, the security element to everything that we're doing and what you're trying to overcome in that regard? I think anytime Congress recognizes that economic security and national security are tied together, it's a good thing for our industry. Now, I think we are talking about generating more commercial demand. Our industry is able to meet the aerospace and defense demand presently, right? It's not a tremendous part of the market. But I think lawmakers increasingly are starting to look at making things in America, building and designing things in America, having the talent and the workforce that we need here in America as very much tied to our ability to compete and win on the global stage. That recognition then leads to a lot of conversations about where should we make chips? Where should we make advanced packaging? Where should we make PCBs? And of course, it extends beyond that into any number of additional industries. But certainly, a definition of national security that is a little bit more broad is also part of the discussion. I think everybody understands that, you know, F-35s need printed circuit boards. 
let's think about other areas of the American economy that we would call critical. Banking, the medical sector, the energy infrastructure, right? If you start to say, well, where are the microelectronic supply chains leading into those larger apparatus? Do those need to be secured? Do those need to be trusted? Do those need to be part of reliable supply chains? Now we're having a broader conversation that doesn't just hit a pure defense market. It also hits that commercial sector as well. So to your point, you know, and I, and I love the fact that um, the PCBAA is not just concentrating on A&D, right? Because that is 10% of the overall market. The, I mean, maybe not in the US, but you know, broadly speaking, it's sure. 4% of the worldwide market. So it's not enough, as we've seen over the past 20 years, to make manufacturing of bare boards um, a growth industry in the United States. What I like to point to is companies like Apple, right? Which perhaps the most successful company in the history of the world, um, at least by market cap and branding and all the rest of that. And on their 10K, they have billions of dollars every year. Actually, it's tens of billions of dollars that they spend on on uh, research and development and in capital expenditures. And you're saying, well, why does a company that designs things that doesn't actually build things spending all this money on equipment, on manufacturing equipment? And you know, one big answer is that they understand that if they don't know how to manufacture product, then they're always their designs are always going to be limited, and their their ability to get to market fast is always going to be constrained. And so, you know, the Apple way, and I know Intel did this as well, is to send lots and lots of engineers into their suppliers. They may not be building it under, you know, an, in an Apple building, but they may as well be because their engineers are all over those factories. And then when you look at the patent applications that Apple files, there's tons of them that are in manufacturing. Mm-hmm. But hey, wait, we don't do manufacturing. But they understand it. And you know, that's where I get at. It's it's just that you can't separate design from manufacturing. You can't be just a, a design country. Innovation will depart if that's what you leave it up to. Now I'm preaching to the choir. I know. That's not a question. It's more of a statement. <laughs> you are spot on. And I think a lot of business people in our industry and across the business community, you mentioned some of the more blue chip names that are out there, right, in the technology space. They're paid to think about the future. They're paid to think about what comes next. And as I look at every emerging technology set and a U.S. desire to have a significant portion of that market and not be dependent, not be reliant, not be insecure because the supply chains are exclusively overseas, I think everybody recognizes that, yeah, we want to invent it here. We want to design it here. We want to innovate here. And we want to have the manufacturing capacity, right? And it isn't uh, an insular view of the world. It's not an attack on a global economy. It's saying that we need to have a sustainable portfolio. We need to have a balanced market share. 4% of the global market down from 30, 25 years ago. That's not sustainable. That's not reliable. That's not something that should put anybody uh, into a relaxed position. We've got to correct that. And it does require government action. Your point is well taken. I mean, the US policy, or at least what organizations like PCBAA are trying to do to affect U.S. policy is really no different fundamentally than what you've seen in China, um, what's uh, evolving in Europe, uh, India. Um, you know, there's certainly lots of significant regions around the world that are going about this almost exactly the same way, whether it's coming from the government or not. Mike, you are making such a great point here that I wish was repeated more often, which is the U.S. is playing catch up on industrial policy. 
I, I would love to say optimistically we're leading the way, but the reality is that many nations for decades now have decided that they want to own certain segments of the economy, that they want to have as much manufacturing, as much capacity on their shores as possible. I can't fault them for looking out for their own interests. Now America is getting in the game, and I'm hopeful that that view will continue. But that is just as much of a competitive marketplace between nation states as exists around the world between businesses. David, if we want to leave our listeners with one thing to remember or one call to action, what would that be? Well, I would say it's two things. Let's keep the focus on American manufacturing and building resilient and secure supply chains. And let's do that through the organizations that are out there. Of course, I'm a big believer in what the PCBA is all about. We're continuing to grow and I'm having conversations every week with people all across the microelectronics uh, ecosystem about why being on our team makes sense. And if people want to learn more, myself and our leadership are readily available. And we'll certainly be calling on folks in industry to press home with public policymakers in the coming weeks and months the importance of this issue. So you can expect to hear more from us on this, and hopefully I can come back and talk with you about our progress in the future. You're always welcome on PCB Chat, David. Thank you, Mike. My guest today has been David Schild, Executive Director of the Printed Circuit Board Association of America. And David, why don't you just, uh, I almost forgot, why don't you mention the website? Absolutely. Please visit us at pcbaa.org and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. For PCB Chat, this is Mike Buto. Have a nice day.